Jonathan Coleman, one of your pastors here at Anderson Hills Church. We are in a series uh, titled Gathering Wood. It's a series about revival. While there's no set formula for revival, there are certain characteristics about revival that help us move forward into having God transform our church. Anderson Township, the city of Cincinnati, and goes out into the nation. It's where people have a desire for God. First characteristic we learn of revival is conviction and repentance. Leaving our life of sin and coming back to God. The second is powerful, bold prayers. Prayer is giving our hearts to God in holy conversation and then listening. Praying boldly for God to move in our lives, our neighbors' lives, our families' lives, those who are around us. Last week, Pastor Sue Lee, she preached on holiness. Beautiful message on making a conscious decision not to live like the world, but to live like kingdom people. Today, we're going to talk about unity within the body, the body of Christ, the church. And our God-focused unity together is so vital to revival sweeping out. Unified body uh, provides a powerful kindling. To stoke the fires of revival. Unity is something that you know when it's present. And you know when it's absent. <laughs> when, there, when there is unity, everything runs smoothly. More gets accomplished for the kingdom. But when there is division and lack of unity, you have chaos. You have confusion. Trust me, I've served on a church where there was a complete lack of unity within the staff. There was envy. There was jealousy. It was a lousy environment. But today, I can testify, testify to you that our staff is so united, so united on Jesus. We are a well-oiled machine, and all the pistons are firing. We all desire to see the gospel spread, your lives changed. The city's lives changed. And to experience the love of Christ and the power of his healing ministry. The Bible has a lot to say about unity, my friends. I love Psalm 133. It dives right into powerful metaphors about unity. Let's look at this together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like Precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This tells us that unity is refreshing like oil just being poured out you ever had that dry skin and you put that moisturizer on well unity is the moisturizer for the body of christ why because unity attracts god's blessing favor and anointing 
When the church is unified, there will be the presence of his Holy Spirit. There will be blessings. You'll experience that favor within yourselves, and you'll experience that anointing with his presence, his power, and his operation within your life. And I believe it's happening here at Anderson Hills in a very powerful way. What does it look like? Well, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, when the believers were one mind, you start to see the characteristics of the unity. You start to see specifics of what revival is. And it's a glorious picture. Let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of something like that? That's what the church should look like. It's powerful. And we want this dynamic ministry to take place right here at Anderson Hills Church. And we need to be unified, especially on the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the Bible, and unified on their love for Jesus. If we want God to empower and bless us, there has to be unity with each other. God can't bless and favor division. God isn't attracted to disunity when he's a God of unity. This is Trinity Sunday, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, truly one. And God expects us to have oneness among his people. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you to be unified. He prayed for us to be unified. John 17, 20 through 21, 23. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples there. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. All that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. And the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is fully aware that he's going to depart from the world. And likewise, those that stand with him, the apostles, the believers, in his immediate circle of followers, they'll depart someday. They will pass away into his glorious presence. This will leave those who disciple the church to represent the kingdom of God in the world to be responsible for the unity and the ministry. And so Jesus now turns and he prays for those who will come generations and generations after. It's you and me. He's praying for. Jesus prayed for you. <laughs> he did. He prayed for the church today. And he desires for his followers to be of one heart and mind, to live in complete unity so that the world will notice and see our love for each other. And that's the first visibly based uh, experience and characteristics of unity, that our unity is based on love. 
It's not some moral effort powered by human energy. It's an outgrowth of union. Union Christians enjoy with loving Jesus himself and then having his agape, which is unmerited, unconditional love experienced, that agape love experienced in themselves and shared with each other. We love like he first loved us. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't help but love, you know? We can't let your love show and flow. And the people who are not Christians are attracted by that kind of love and that desire to see that kind of love. The world doesn't know what love is. They don't. They can't understand it. We know love because God is love. And we are to experience that love and share that love with each other. Soon after I became a Christian, I was taught a song. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our what? By our t-shirts? By our bumper stickers? By our religious jargon? No, no, no. By our love. By our love, they'll know we are Christians by our love. The world is watching for our unity and how we love each other, my friends. And when Christians are united in Christ, the world sees two things very clearly. And Jesus says them in this passage of Scripture. That Jesus was sent by the Father and that Jesus loves his church. All believers are in Christ, are united in Christ. We are in a relationship that unites us with him and every other believer. And we experience that in our families, even at times if we don't act like it. We're always pushed toward it. It's the prayer of Jesus that we be with him also and we love the world as he had loved us through sacrificial love of laying down our lives for the benefit of others. There's a hurting world that doesn't know Jesus yet. And if we live like Jesus, they will know and see Jesus clearly through you. And God chooses to utilize you for that. Being one body in Christ does not also mean that, and it's not about uniformity. Being one body in Christ doesn't mean that we look, look, all look alike, we talk alike, and enjoy the same types of activities. But we can love alike. There's a story of a man that died, and he went to heaven. And he was given a tour of heaven by the angel Gabriel. Everywhere, songs were raised in praise. Suddenly, the harmony that had been hidden in his life made sense to him. Four-part songs, cathedral organs, guitars and drums, rustic hymns, African chants, Latin rhythm, the bells, the choirs, the white keys, the black keys, the tapping of feet, and the beating hearts all blended together in harmony that was never heard on earth, but always intended eternal in the heavens. And it all worked together, and it was all good and pleasing to this man. But the man couldn't help but to notice at the edge of heaven, there was a little cabin. Curious, he walked toward it, with angel Gabriel at his elbow. Looking inside the window, he noticed quietly there were people on their knees. Their hands were clasped in prayer. It was a group that seemed oblivious to the rest of heaven. The man turned toward the angel Gabriel 
with a quizzical expression, Gabriel smiled and softly and quietly explained, they are the exclusive apostolic old order preservationist straightaway witnesses of the apocalyptic mysteries church. Why are you whispering, the man asked. Because, Gabriel replied, they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> Heaven is unified. The Godhead is unified. And they're unified on Jesus Christ. Next, our unity is based on how we use our voices, how we use our lives to glorify God. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15, 4 through 6. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that is in Christ Jesus had, so that in, within one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was both convinced and encouraged the churches regarding the importance of living in harmony with each other, especially declaring unto them that their glorification of God must take place in that unity. The Christian brings honor and glory to God by pursuing that unity in the power of the Holy Spirit who brings us together through one faith in Christ. What does it mean to glorify God? It means giving Him all our praise and glory for all the things, holding him up in a high place with eyes fixed on him at everything we do with in, in ministry to our creator, including us. He alone has this desire for glory of all good things we see and exist and experience that ministry unto him. And being glorious is a part of God's very nature. And when we give him glory, we're acknowledging that glorious nature that is in him. And how do we do that? Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you obey my commandments. So that leads us to the conclusion that really glorifying means that we obey his commands and live our lives given over to his principles that we can find in the Bible together. And we do that together. And it leads to what Paul says. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And you let your light shine so that the glory of God can be seen among all the nations. Jesus was selfless, and his life was a great example, and he always glorified the Father. Anything done by a person who professes to be a Christian should give the world an accurate picture of who God is in righteousness and faithfulness. Just saying you glorify God means nothing. You must actually do it in your lives every day. And this is difficult to do personally. I'm always kicking myself to do it. Jonathan, remember who you are, whose you are, and who in you are in ministry for. We must do that together. That's why we need life groups. We need bands. Bands of four or three people that we can help share the state of our souls. Do you have another brother or sister in Christ that you know that you can help, that you trust, that can help you walk in a way that represents Jesus Christ? Glorifying God with our lives means that we correctly represent Christ with our thoughts, words, and actions. There was a man who had been out of work for a long time, and he decided to inquire at the local zoo for a job. 
He told the zookeeper, he said, I would like a job. I will clean cages. I will do whatever you need. And the zookeeper said, I'm sorry, buddy. We just, we'd love to hire you, but there just aren't any openings right now. But noticing how big and burly the man was, the zookeeper suddenly had an idea. He said, this is crazy, and you don't have to agree to it, but you will, would you be willing to put on a costume and pretend to be a gorilla? Our gorilla died last week. He was one of the most popular exhibits here in the zoo. If you will be a gorilla, we'll have a custom-made suit just for you. And we'll pay you really, really well to be our gorilla. Desperate for the work, the man took the job. Now, feeling a little apprehensive on his first day that he put on the gorilla suit, he climbed into the cage, he made a few gorilla moves, and he beat his chest a little bit, and the people loved it. The next day, he tried shaking the bars and screaming and running around and rooting and grunting, and the people, the crowd started to grow. The third day, he was actually really enjoying his job even more, and he began swinging from the vines, and he swung too far and went over the wall of his gorilla cage, and he landed right in the middle of the lion's cage. The lion turned and walked toward him rather quickly, and the man knew that if he called for help, people would discover that he really wasn't a gorilla, but if he kept quiet, he would be the lion's lunch. So he screamed, help! The lion whispered, shut up, stupid, we're all going to get fired. (laughs) Folks, there's a point to this story. We have to be the real deal. We can't pretend to be something we really are not. We can't put on a show when we glorify God. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ 24-7 not just on Sundays. We must, help, we must help each other live a life that glorifies God. And lastly, when we're unified, we use our spiritual gifts together. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He said, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together is held together. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as a part. Each part does its work. We are a body united, built up together by our gifts. And we use that mission and service and it's a part of our unity. And that's how we experience revival. We just don't pop in and out of church. We're knitted together by using our gifts to build other people up so that they're transformed and they reach maturity in the faith. And we're all using various parts of our gifts to equip people also for ministry and maturity. I want to ask you a key question today. Are you more interested in being served in the church or are you more interested in being a servant in the church? 
I want you to think about your spiritual gifts as pieces of wood that you carry around with you. And you throw those pieces of wood into the bonfire of God's fire as kindling for revival so that God's light can radiate and shine everywhere. You can't cling to those gifts because that wood will rot really fast. You know what happens when you throw it into the fire? It automatically gets replaced with a new piece of wood. This first grade teacher asked her class a question. How do you help out at home? One of the answers came back. One little girl said, I dry the dishes for my mommy. One little boy said, I feed the dog. Another child said, I sweep the floor. Everybody gave an answer, but one little boy sitting in the back didn't say anything. The teacher looked at him and said, Danny, what do you do to help out around home? He said, I stay out of the way. (laughs) We have far too many church members who just try to stay out of the way. God wants us to grow up, to mature. Maturity is for ministry. Mature Christians are interested in service. Immature Christians are interested in a consumerism, serve me type of basis. We have to remember to use our spiritual gifts in service to help others mature in their faith. Jamie Brocky, she'd made a desperate imploration, I think, about our children's ministry on Sunday morning. We are growing. We are growing. And we need you to help this generation below us. They need to learn about Jesus. They need to learn how to love. They need to learn how to become mature in Christ Jesus. This, continues, this petition continues to go out and out. We need to step up and sign up. Just one time a month is all Jamie's asking for. And if we got everybody doing together, we'll get that bonfire before these kids and they'll be able to heat up and warm up around it. We had to step up and help these young people learn about Jesus Christ. In April 1979, the group Sister Sledge released a song titled, We Are Family. It was a sensational hit. It went to number two in the USA chart. It was so popular, it became the rallying cry for the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates when they came back from behind to win the World Series. How's it go? We our family I got all my sisters in me we are family get up everybody sing we everybody sing we are a team with many gifts and parts there's no I in team we are a family look around you right now look around you right now you're looking at brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus bound by the spirit Bound by our faith, bound by our baptism, and bound by the blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ together. And today we get to do something amazing that unifies. We get to pass these trays and remember that we are bound together by the incredible ministry of Jesus Christ who gave his life, who gave his body broken, his blood shed for our lives. And communion is all about reconciliation with each other and reconciliation with God. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, as we come to this holy table, may we be reminded that we are family, that we are bound together by your Holy Spirit and by these ministry of sacraments that we experience today. God, prepare our lives to receive this holy supper. And as we partake this together, may we 
truly, truly realize that we are unified in you. We pray this through the ministry of your Holy Son. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.